Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Morning, Matt. Morning, Stu. Ready for the uh, fortnightly Bible study? I am. This is, uh, this is our little Bible study, the Bible study of two and whoever else is listening. <laughs> yeah, both of them, <laughs> the other two. Uh, first of all, though, before we kind of kick in, happy birthday, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, happy yeah, birthday. No, what I a, think what a great thing to do on your birthday. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. 30, I think it is today, isn't it? Yeah, so, big yeah, of course, one, which yeah. is fantastic. So, congratulations <laughs> <Not>. on that. <laughs> and thanks for giving us your time on uh, your birthday. Really appreciate that. We're uh, carrying on through our Thrive Deep series on the Gospel of John, and uh, man, the next three chapters, I'd have to say, Matt, you know, it's, um, as I was reading through chapters 8, 9, and 10, there were uh, passages there that I'm having to go back and read again and kind of go, what, what, what's he saying there? And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, and I've got the benefit of yeah. all the other information that we have, and yet these people who are hearing Jesus say this stuff for the first time, it's kind of, you can kind of understand why, you know, there's this yeah. sense of, what are you talking about? It, it almost about? doesn't seem fair because yeah. it's so cryptic exactly. and he, yeah. it's like he's speaking in riddles. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, and, and it's actually, it's interesting because it's increasingly the case. Do you notice yes, that as I you go notice. on? Yeah. And we're moving towards uh, the sort of climactic point of the story here. Mm. And, and, and I think this is part of this polar, polarizing effect. See, in, in Matthew's gospel, you have the same thing, but there he starts speaking in parables. It's interesting the way that John and Matthew, have, do, they, they pick up this same thing where yeah. there comes a point where, so Jesus speaks pretty clearly for, for, quite, for quite a while. Mm. And then there comes this point where in Matthew's gospel, in, it's in Matthew 13, mm. where he starts speaking in parables, parables. right? So, it's in front, you know, from, it says from now and he speaks in parables. And, and to explain why, he, he, it's actually not so that people will understand, you know, because we think he there's nice illustrations so everyone no, understood. No. no, it was actually, in a way, it, those who, as he says, those who have ears will hear yeah. and those who don't won't understand. Yeah. Um, because you know, because some just aren't willing to hear, mm. and those who have ears to hear will understand, and and so from that point on, it's all a bit cryptic, you know, mm. and 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 it's either either it has this like in Matthew's gospel, there are clearly aspects of it that the people that really want to reject him, he gives them enough to really drive that to its logical conclusion. Yep. So the parables give them pl- plenty. And it's the same here in John as yeah. well. I mean, this is where it really escalates between it does him escalate. and the Pharisees yeah. and, and, the, in, and the Jews. It's yeah. like, you know, it just gets that, you know more and more polarized yeah, to the it, point it is, where Jesus almost, it's almost like, I, I, I'm not going to say this again. You guys just don't get it. So don't get it. Kind of almost, yeah. it feels like that. And the, and the you know, the, I don't know how many times in just these three chapters, it's like they wanted to stone him, but somehow he slipped away. Yeah, know? that's like, right. Yeah, because he t- keeps saying his time has yeah, not yet come, which, yeah. which again shows his sovereignty in this situation. Because yeah. one of the big themes in John, of course, is the fact that, you know, God is is in control of all. This is this is not just um, random events happening here. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus is is Lord in the midst of all of this, and so if it's not His time, they can't touch Him. Mm. And it it underscores the fact that He, as it says in the text, you know, as, as John's um, records, Jesus is saying, you know, He says, "I will lay down my life. No one can take it from me. Yes. I will lay it down of my own accord." Yeah. So you know, that's to underscore the fact that there there are these 
these repeated attempts to lay hold of him that mm. just mm. don't succeed. And we're not, we don't know why they don't succeed, but uh, it, the explanation is because his time had not yet come. Yeah. And it's yeah. like obvious. So, you know, you see then too this, that same sovereignty at work in that increasing sort of polarization because mm. there's enough in these cryptic sayings as it is in Matthew's gospel with the parables, there's enough in these cryptic sayings to really put those offside who really want to reject him. Like yeah. there's, man, there's some stuff there that would have just been so offensive. Mm-hmm. So you almost, if you didn't already believe that he was the Messiah, yeah. right? Uh, really, if you didn't already believe that he was in some sense the divine, the, the incarnation of God in, in that sense, man, you, you're, it's, yeah. It's really quite offensive. So it has this yeah. this polariz- yeah. polarizing and, and I think you're right. I mean, I think it, it, it for me it came down to there was just this group of people who did not want to believe. I mean, Jesus was saying, I've done this, I've done this, you've seen this, you've seen that, but you, you still don't want to believe. You just don't want to believe. And so you're actually looking for every reason not to believe instead of yeah. every reason to yeah. believe. Yeah, and it's interesting. He, 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 he's not going out of his way necessarily to try and convince no. them because no. he knows – he knows why they don't believe, and and so in a way, he's bringing out their hard heartedness, mm. and perhaps you know that in order that they would actually perhaps recognise that. Or anyway, it's it's an interesting trajectory here, and I just find it interesting how you have two gospels where the same thing happens, and of course in Luke and 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 Mark you get the same thing, but particularly in Matthew's gospel with the parables, the yes. trajectory of the parables. Yeah. And that sort of polarizing effect that they have, and the way that happens in John, but more in in terms of this riddle like sort of teaching. And think this isn't fair. <laughs> so I, I mean, like, I'm sitting here scratching. You know, we're scratching our heads, thinking, "What is he?" You know. Well, I'm definitely uh, scratching my head. That's yeah. For sure. <laughs> and you know, and I'm and, and there are points here where, where I'm you know pulling in some commentaries, thinking. Well, they didn't even have have like commentaries that they could. That's <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly right. No, you know, uh, they were hearing, as you say, they were hearing this for the first time, and man, it just uh, it must have been, yeah, uh, must have been difficult uh, to handle. There we go. So, so we're going to kick off from chapter eight, aren't we? Yeah, we are. But we, we the context is important here because uh, mm. Jesus, this is Jesus' final trip to Jerusalem, mm. and it's in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, um, the Feast of Booths. Yep, he's in Jerusalem for the uh, for that uh, festival. Yes. That's the festival where they celebrated that sojourning in the desert, where they lived in temporary shelters. So there would, there'd be this seven-day period where they would live in these uh, temporary shelters. And uh, and there would be a ceremonial kind of carting of water up from the Pool of Shalom up to the, mm-hmm. uh, up to the temple. But they would also light, uh, they would go up and they would light these candles in the court of the women in uh, in the way that the temple was set so, out at that yeah. particular time. And so the water and light are two images that Jesus draws on. So part of um, what actually helps is the context. Yes, of course. Uh, so so some, some of these sayings, yes, they are riddles, but in their context, actually, they, sh- they in a so. sense, are less so because mm-hmm. of all the stuff that's happening. I mean, he's he's saying this stuff in the midst of a festival that is utilizing the very symbolism. Light and water. Yeah, yeah. light and water that, you know, so he speaks, you know, of uh, of living water and, and so forth. And then uh, chapter eight, uh, he talks about being the light of the world. And I just want to say something because it continues pretty much from the end of chapter seven mm. to... 
chapter 8, verse 12, it, it seems that there's a, like chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That pretty much continues right on from the end of chapter 7. Yeah. But you've got this uh, bit here in uh, the beginning of chapter 8, which is the famous story of the woman caught in adultery uh, that was brought to Jesus. And they said, the law says that she, she should be stoned. What do you say? And he says, let him... It was without sin cast the first stone. Uh, and, and I just want to explain this to uh, our listeners, because in most versions of the Bible, it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this section. Which is really, just for clarity, it's probably verse 53 of chapter 7 um, through to the end of chapter 8, really, yeah. that, that segment. No, not to the end of chapter 8 till uh, 8 verse... Sorry, sorry, 8, uh, sorry, yes, eight verse 11. 11. Yep. Sorry, correct. Uh, so that's that story. Mm. And... There's certainly every reason to believe that that this this is something that happened. Uh, you know, it's it was probably recorded, but in the in the earliest uh, versions of John's uh, of John's gospel, it doesn't it doesn't seem to have been included. And certainly, from the the flow of the text, it looks like it's been inserted there yes. for some reason, perhaps for lack of uh, any other any other context. And probably in later, you know, later manuscripts uh, of John. Now, the thing is, the the New Testament is the most well attested document in pretty much in the history of literature. Of literature, really, it yep. is. There are thousands and thousands of manuscripts. There's absolutely no problem with knowing what was in the the original. Now, some of the complexity is that you know there are bits like this that probably were recorded, but. That story was probably preserved in the oral tradition, and became right. such a core part, you know, such a core memory. But it, but it perhaps as a fragment, and it didn't necessarily get put in its place. Yeah, it didn't. <clears throat> it didn't necessarily. It wasn't necessarily put in any of the gospels. So it may be that eventually, you know, they've just kind of put it here. So it's you know, so it's part yeah. of this of, yeah. of the of the four gospels without having to create a new. A new section yeah. or a new yeah. book or or, yeah. or something, you know, something like that. I mean, yes. and so, yeah. so, so that's uh, so that's that. But certainly, when when reading uh, the text, yeah, we seem we seem to move seamlessly from the end of chapter seven to uh, to Jesus uh, saying about the light of the world. It's probably just one thing to, and this is probably an aside, really. But I, I hear I hear from time to time people kind of say, "Oh, they're going to stone this woman for adultery." But what about the guy? You know, kind of thing. Well, actually, the law. You only stone it if it's a virgin who's been betrothed, and yeah. the, me- the guy's meant to be stoned as well. Yeah. So people use that example and kind of go, oh, "It seems really unfair." Well, yeah. no, no, actually, yeah. uh, if they were following the law, both of them, yeah, would yeah, have been, yeah, yeah. Would have been stoned. yeah, that's right. Anyway, um, that's an aside, and, and, and yep, yeah, that's right. So the the light of the world imagery is important because this is, I mean, particularly through Isaiah's prophecy, Stu. That's a really key image. And of course, Israel is, they understood that they were to be the light of the world. Um, that was their calling. They were to be a blessing to the ends of the earth in accordance with that Abrahamic promise, promise. in yep. Genesis chapter 12. And uh, so light and blessing are connected, light and life are connected. Yep. And so, you know, Jesus, in the context of the of the festival of tabernacles, where you've got this light, and and the significance of lighting the lamps there was a an allusion to the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites. So remember when they were wandering in the desert, and the pillar of fire would guide them. Uh, the pillar of fire by night, and the and the pillar of cloud by day, mm. and 
and then when they would settle, that pillar of fire and cloud would settle over the tabernacle. So Jesus is essentially saying, I am that, I am that pillar of fire and cloud. Yes. You know, I am the presence of God in your midst. We've already, John's already talked about Jesus tabernacling amongst us, that the term that he uses is that, you know, when it says he dwelt among us, that the, the, the word there has this, this sense of tabernacle, you know, and links with the tabernacle because the tabernacle in the, in the uh, time of Moses signified um, the presence. That's of right, God. right yeah. through to the time of Joshua, Joshua yeah. symbolized presence of God in the midst of the people. Mm. So John has already said Jesus is the presence of God in the midst of the people. He's the embodiment of the presence of God in the midst of the people, and so now Jesus is making that further connection. Well, I, I am because. The, the the tabernacle was the symbol of that, but the pillar of cloud was actually the this in a sense the manifestation it was a theophany, as 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 we would say, uh, it was a manifestation of the presence of God, dwelling over His tabernacle, yeah, right. as it were. Yeah. So Jesus is identifying Himself with that pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. So it's interesting though here. To those who he is light to those who believe, but darkness to those who don't believe. This is where he goes uh, further down. There's this sense that he is, he has the, again, it's this polar, light has a polarizing effect, doesn't it? It yes. causes, you know, where there's a blockage, it causes really dark shadows, um, but it also illumines as well. And you see that uh, reflected in, in some of the things that Jesus says there. Uh, so he says actually down in um, chapter. Eight, verse 45. Interesting statement here, Stu. He says, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So it's not that they don't not believe in spite of the fact that he tells the truth. So in spite of the fact, he's not saying in spite of the fact that I tell the truth, you don't believe me. No, it's actually because I tell the truth, you right. don't believe me. Yeah. You know, it's because this is the truth and this is the very truth that you don't want to really, mm. uh, really face up to. So, but he's saying, isn't he, in uh, in the middle of that chapter there, it talks that famous saying about the truth will set you free. Yes. Um, he says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's interesting. Their response to him is they say, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's interesting, actually, they're under uh, Roman occupation uh, at this uh, this particular point. But, you know, they certainly see themselves, you know, they certainly see that in a sense, the law sets them free in a sense. You know, it's it's that their freedom is expressed through their law keeping and their, you know, the keeping of the Sabbath. And, uh, and so then in one sense... They felt like as long as God is our, you know, God is our God and Abraham is our father, we're not subject to anyone else. So even under the Roman occupation, I mean, there was a bit of a tension under the Roman occupation. But look, largely the Romans didn't mess with their religion. No. Um, so, I mean, the, the experience of the past was is that the Greeks, their former uh, empire that ruled over them before the Romans mm. uh, was the Greek empire. Mm. And they did try to outlaw Judaism, and that led to the uh, the wars under the Maccabees that they actually won. The Jews won and won this 
100-year yeah. independent kingdom. Yeah. And the Romans brought that to an end. But the Romans, I think, did a better... You know, the Romans didn't mess with their... Because that was going to cause massive problems. Yeah. Although there were Roman laws that I think at times the Pharisees tried to uh, trap Jesus between yeah, yeah, that's the right. Jewish yeah. law and the Roman law. Like even the woman, woman being you know stoned and the suggestion because they knew well, if he says, no, let's not stone her, then he's breaking the Jewish law. But yeah. if he said, yeah, let's stone her, then the Romans are going to be pretty yeah. gr- gr- grumpy with yeah, them. Yeah, they were so, constantly trying so to catch him So they were constantly trying yeah. to catch him out using those those tensions yeah. between the world and, and even you know even emphasizing his claims to be king yes. and, and all these yeah. sorts of things that, that you know the Which paying taxes exactly paying taxes to Caesar mm-hmm. these sorts of things yeah. but look that you know that they were they were free actually to observe their yeah. their own religious festivals, religious and, festivals and yeah. their own religious system yeah. so the Romans really didn't mess with that yeah. um, uh, you know I think uh, you know history probably probably uh, you know, bore a good lesson in that respect. So in this sense, they've, you know, they feel like they're free. Mm. You know, we're free. We have Abraham as our father. Um, but, and this is, this is where, you know, Jesus goes to this other level, uh, uh, this deeper level. And he says in verse 34, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Uh, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Mm. So again, this for them is difficult because, they're thinking we're not slaves to how are we slaves, slaves to, to sin? sin? Yeah, and this is the whole problem. They just don't see that they have. You know, they think we keep the law. Uh, we're not slaves to sin. But Jesus is going at another level. There's a level of there's a level of God complex of pride there that he's you know he's come to go to that level with them. It's so easy to think, you know, I live a moral life. I'm a basically yeah. good person. But but Jesus always wants to go to that deeper level, yeah. and I think we're inevitably quite resistant to that, uh, to seeing that about ourselves. But that's where salvation lies. I mean, Jesus wants to set us free. And that actually is the nature of the difference here between those who accept Jesus and those who who don't. don't. Mm. Um, It isn't because the people that believe are particularly clever and get all the riddles and no, no, actually it's Mm. something about a willingness here Mm. Um, that, you know, the text has shown that it's, it's those who, who recognize their need and, and who, who they, you know, recognize they are unworthy and then in need of forgiveness Mm. and cleansing, they're the ones that get it, you know, but the, you know, it's, it's the, those that just struggle to see because they live moral lives and whatever that struggle to see that there's, that's not enough. that they are candidates for even or, or in need of forgiveness yeah. at all. Yeah. So, um, so he drives this deeper. He actually, you know, he actually says to them because they claim Abraham as her father, as yeah. their father. I mean, he he basically says to them, "Actually, your father is the devil." I mean, this is this is incredibly inflammatory. Yeah, it is. Um, talk about polarizing. Well, he kind of says before he says that he says, "If you were Abraham's children, you would do." what your father said, yeah. Abraham. And then he goes on to say, uh, yeah. they, they argue the point, hang on, we weren't born of sexual mind, that, you know, we have one father. Yeah. God, Jesus said to them, and then he goes on to say, as you say. Yeah, well, in verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? It is yeah. because you cannot, you cannot bear to hear my word. Yeah. It's, you know, verse 44 then, you are of your father, the devil. devil. Your yeah. will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Mm. You know, mm. I mean, it, as I said, it's so it's so polarizing. It's 
you know, you think, man, is he is is this going too far? Obviously, it's not because he's Jesus, but yeah. but we know that now. You see, and I keep yeah. trying to put myself in the context of these people, this yeah. culture yeah. that for centuries, you know, yeah. lived with this understanding, and here's this person saying now, you know, um, I'm telling you the truth, and and you're a you're a son of the devil because you don't believe me. You can totally understand. It's easy for us to look back now and kind of go. What's wrong with them? But the reality is, oh, this would have been very confronting yeah. for them in that in that time. Yeah, that's right. And it actually connects with what he was saying about freedom, mm. because in a sense, that's the starting point. You know, that Jesus understands that the starting point for all humanity is this fundamental level of bondage yeah. to to Satan. This yeah. level of deception. You know, this kind of. Uh, this God complex that mm. that we that we're sort of addicted to that even can have religious expressions can be can be veiled because we observe a religion or, or mm. behave religiously it can actually mm. veil a deeper kind of pride mm. and essentially it's it's this kind of pride that that he is dealing with with these Pharisees because essentially they've usurped authority this is a this is a control game here yes. one of the problems re- really the big problem and there's no denying that. You know that these were these were guys that were really trying hard and doing their best, and we can easily caricature them mm. as being these sort of evil guys. But they actually weren't. That's not really. No, that's right. You know, but that's my point, really. It's yeah, like, you know that they they were they were doing their best and really trying to live lives that please God. But uh, but there was this control thing going on as well. They were they because of their godliness, they were esteemed. They became the leaders amongst the people. They were elevated, and in that place of elevation, you know, it's pride th- kicks th- in. That's where this pride kicks mm. in, and 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 the kind of authority and influence that they had. They just weren't willing to give up that influence. So when Jesus comes, and people are starting to turn to him, and he's doing these miracles. You know, like why, when he does these amazing miracles, why do they keep trying to pick him up on technicalities? Like all these little technicalities. Oh, you did it on the Sabbath, right? You know, uh, well, it's because when he's doing these things, all the people are turning to him and they're losing their influence, Mm. you know. So Mm. this is this is this sort of demonic like spirit that that wants to usurp authority. It's it's this is the the essence of you know of the original temptation yes. in Genesis chapter 3 is that you know if you eat from this tree then you will be like god you yeah. know then it's like you can rule in your own right mm. you know you can mm. you can be like god in your own right cut yourself off from god declare mm. independence and mm. and so you know th- this this god complex and this pride and this this orientation to control and mm. and usurp authority and that's which, what which is the same thing the devil did to Jesus in the desert essentially yeah. it's like you you can you can take over exactly exactly you know? the same temptation yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah you can yeah exactly you can rule all the kingdoms if you bow down to me you can rule all the kingdoms of the earth so essentially the Pharisees even and this is the irony here isn't it that through their godliness they were elevated to this position of well through their, their at least their their godly behavior yeah they were elevated to this position of influence but they, they you know they they fell to this temptation. Be be these almost look gods in the midst of this society, yeah, you know, yeah. and and they just can't give that up. And and this is what Jesus is really bringing to the surface. And as as time goes on, you see this more and more. In fact, in chapter ten, we'll have a look. Yes, you know, he talks about the flock and the true shepherd. 
uh, as opposed to the thieves. Yes. And the thief is the one that usurps authority. He's, he's really calling them out mm-hmm. for usurping this authority over God's people mm-hmm. that they didn't really deserve to have. So, yeah, it's it's really, it's actually really deep stuff mm. uh, here. It is. And it's important, actually, as we read this, to recognize that the deeper you get, the deeper he digs into the, into the issues that they're dealing with. The more polarized. The, the more polarized, but also the more common He's dealing with issues that are common, common to all of us. These are not particular sins that we can say, oh, yeah, they committed that, that but that's yes. not, not so much us. No, the deeper Jesus goes in diagnosing this kind of God complex, the more actually we have to say, ah, actually, that's me too. That's, mm. that's me too. We, mm. we are all, you know, we all have this propensity mm. and only Jesus can set us free from that. I mean, in a sense, anyone can act Morally and ethically, yeah. if they with a bit of determination, you can act morally and ethically, mm. but you cannot be set free from that uh, that addictive yeah. uh, sort of control addiction that mm. that goes with that sort of god that deep seated god, god complex. complex yeah. Man, that's another thing, mm. you know, and and that sort of that level of pride. Only only Jesus can set you free from that because you literally it's you literally have to. There's a death that needs to happen, a kind of a death, yeah. and 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 only only Jesus can, you know, can cause a death and resurrection experience mm. like that. You know, that is is really the nature of the whole of the Christian life is like this continuous death and resurrection experience as we shed what is false and 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 you know come alive to what is new. We should just leave it there, Matt. That was like yeah, I know <laughs> that's, that's such a yeah. you know powerful message. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So he at the at the end of chapter, uh, eight. chapter eight, you know, there's that. Uh, you know, just in case he's put them offside, <laughs> just in case he hasn't put them offside enough. Yes. Uh, he he makes they're talking about Abraham and are you making yourself out to be greater than Abraham. Yeah. And he makes that statement before Abraham was I, I am. am, and they know exactly what he's saying. So know, the was, way that yeah. he puts it with the grammar, you know, he's referring to. Uh, Exodus chapter three, yeah. you know, I am that I am, which is mm. the very name of God before mm. Abraham was, I am, you know, man. It's... So at that point, he's actually saying, I am God. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah, know? that's which right. Is, uh, which is what happened, uh, Moses at the burning yeah. bush. So, yeah, and it's interesting very... that, that, right, uh, that right at that point where he says that, and at that point they pick up stones mm. uh, to mm. stone him. And, and of course, yet again, they, they don't succeed. That moves straight into this miracle, and and the sequence here is beautiful, Stu, because it moves straight to this miracle of the of the healing of the man born blind. blind. Right, yeah. he's a man born blind because the very point that Jesus is been making is we're all is born that blind. we're all born into this dominion, right? Yeah. This this kind of demonic dominion and and vulnerable to this deception, right? Mm. And so it's like we're all born blind in that sense. That's mm. where we start. It's, it's, and 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 we need you know we need Jesus to uh, you know, enable us to see. Mm. And so this miracle is depicting actually what is really going on here. Yeah. You know, it's a it's it's a it's a wonderful, very visual depiction of what's happening spiritually. So this man who's who's born blind is, you know, uh, brought to Jesus, and uh, the disciples ask Jesus the theological question: With this guy that's born blind, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? Because there was a bit of discussion around. Well, wasn't uh, it a common belief from a Jewish point of view that that uh, death or, or or illness was as a result of sin, yeah. and and they even thought you could sin. Pre-conception, you know, it's like 
you could sin all the way, you know, if, if they couldn't explain it in your life, then it was something that must well, have it happened. Was, it was something, it was like, yeah, like in your parents or... Yeah, exactly right. You know, you, some consequence parents, because, yeah, there was this idea that, yes, while you, may, while you aren't guilty of that sin yet, as a consequence of the sin yes. of your parents... Yes. Um, so that, hence the validity of that question from there. Yeah, that's right. Context. Yeah, so they're Correct. saying, okay, so... So why is this guy blind? Mm. Is it is it because of you know something that he did or something his parents did? Of course, he was born blind, which is the question around the parents, right? Yes. And Jesus doesn't necessarily deny that that the consequences of sin can be multi generational. The consequences, not yes. the guilt, but yes. the consequences, can be multi generational. But certainly not. This is not. He says this is. I mean, many Pharisees at that time, religious leaders, would have argued that. Pretty much everything, every sickness or illness has some kind of explanation like that. But Jesus, and this is the same with Paul later on as well, basically says, no, it's not. That's not the way that it works. Mm-hmm. And and certainly he says about this guy, this is so that he might give glory to God, uh, This so that God might be glori- glorified in this man. And so he has this encounter uh he has this encounter uh, with Jesus where there's a bit of process involved here, Stu, yes. in the miracle. Yeah. yeah. Um, he just, he hey. gets mud and, and he, yeah. you know, forms it. Is, is this a sort of creation, creation. kind of thing that yeah, Jesus yeah. is doing here? Because remember, he's just said before Abraham was, I am. Yeah, I am. Well, yeah. what comes before the story of Abraham? Well, it's yeah. the story of creation and, and clay. Uh, yeah, that's right. Mm. And, uh, and from the, from the dust of the ground. So he's, you know, he's mixing his saliva with the dust mm. of the ground. And he's making this clay, and that—that's you know, he wipes it on the man's eyes and sends him to the pool of Siloam to mm. to rub it off. And so, I think you know, I think there's something, uh, perhaps something around the creation uh, thing. There is showing that he has this. This is the divine power of creation mm. and healing that Jesus is carrying here. Of course, uh, the Pharisees again pick up. This is where they. Pick him up on the technicality. Yeah. This is a guy that's born blind. Clearly, everyone, you know, this is relatively small town here. Everyone knows this guy and, and the parents and they, you know, they they bring the parents in and, you know, as well to make sure of this. Uh, yep. He's been, he was born blind and, uh, but they pick him up on the technicality because it was the, the Sabbath. Sabbath. And particularly the kneading of the, of the clay, clay. that's, you know. You know that 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 be oh you were working. I mean, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's interesting right? though, and we, we don't need to get bogged down in this. Interesting though, the previous time when Jesus performed a miracle on the Sabbath, he just spoke, and the man got up and walked. Yeah, uh, and it was the man who broke the is, Sabbath. Who yeah, broke the Sabbath, right, yeah. but not Jesus, because he spoke. Yeah, that's you know, right. And now he's done something, you know, with his hands, and so that yeah. is working. And it's almost like. Jesus is going, you know, we're always at work because God spoke and creation was there. Yeah, that's right. There. Yeah. You know, so it's like we're always at work. Yeah. Know? In fact, um, he says that in, in yes. earlier on, doesn't yes. he? He says, you know, uh, my father is know. always at work. The, mm. the, this, and his point is on the Sabbath day, God is still at work. Mm. Right. That's why I did what I did because God is still at work, work on the Sabbath yeah. day. And there is this continual, in one sense, this continual act of providence and um, mm. You know that is associated with creation, mm. and so yeah, that the, the the creation of that of, of that sort of muddy, you know, thing yeah. for his eyes is, uh, I think, is a is a beautiful yes. touch at that particular point, which you know brings on. He could have not done it like that, and perhaps avoided the 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 controversy, but he's not. That's not what Jesus is looking. He's actually yeah. Jesus brings out the best and the worst. 
And this is what he's doing here. This is what he does in our lives. Mm. He, he, he will bring out both the best and the worst. Mm. And he will put us in situations that will bring out the best and the worst. And, and that's what he's doing here. You know, so, um, of course, then they say that he's not a man of God because he, he sinned. Um, yeah. And then, of course, others are saying, well, how, how can a sinful man yeah, perform that's right. such, such signs kind of thing? And yeah. this is where the div- division and the polarization Continues. That's right. And Jesus refers to, down in uh, chapter 9, verse 39, he says, Jesus said, For judgment Mm. I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. blind." And he explains that in in what follows. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. Mm. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So it's because they didn't admit that they were blind that that there's the problem right there is yeah. that because you think that you see that's the that's the that's why you miss out on this like you you could have freedom but you think you're already free mm. you could have sight but you think you already have sight mm. you know you could hear but you think that you it's it, it's there's such a key in this mm. it's it's hard to uh, overstate how important this is mm. because we so readily give ourselves way too much credit, Stu, I think. Yeah, you know. no, totally. Uh, but to the extent that we recognize that we're blind, we will see. That is just such a crucial, uh, you know, a yeah. crucial principle. And, and it just, it's amazing how the blind man who, who just asked Jesus, who's the Messiah, and Jesus said, I am just believed. He didn't need yeah. anything else. It yeah, was like right. he'd seen what Jesus had done in his life. Yeah, and also right. interesting just to note that a, a number of the messianic prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, talk about the Messiah restoring sight to the blind. Obviously spiritual sight as well as physical mm. sight, but um, mm. you know, here, we, here we're seeing exactly that. And, yeah. yet, and yet the Jews and the Pharisees still didn't recognize that. Yeah. yeah. That moves right into this uh, this section about Jesus being the good shepherd because yeah. he is shepherding his people. Mm. The reason why he goes into this now is because he's, it's come right out of this debate with the Pharisees. He has given sight to a blind man, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're Born complaining, blind. right? Yeah. They're complaining about this. Yeah. And he says, truly, truly, beginning of chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. He's he's actually alluding to them. You, you know, you've usurped authority here. Mm-hmm. You're claiming to be shepherds of these people, but you've, you've this is just authority that you're just you're holding on to a, a yeah. position of influence here, and you're just thieves, really. Yeah. Uh, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, to him, the gatekeeper opened. So, in those, um, you know, in those times, they would have these sheepfolds, um, particularly in the more sort of uh, those semi-urban areas where, you know, that that would be uh, guarded by a shepherd to to prevent you know people from stealing sheep. So, essentially, he's saying you 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 know your your influence is is like that of a robber who comes in and steals sheep away from the one to whom they really belong. And he goes on to say, "I am the good shepherd." Some of the imagery here is associated with the way that shepherding happened uh, in, actually, the way that shepherding still happens in the Middle East. We think of the shepherd sort of driving his sheep and the sheepdog going, you know, yeah. but actually, uh, you and, and you see this actually driving through, even even today, driving through um, Israel when the, you know with the Bedouins, who are sort of scattered all still to this day, the Bedouin people are scattered throughout. Uh, throughout the country, both in Israel and Jordan. 
and you see them with small bands of sheep and the sheep follow them like they yeah. actually yeah. you know the sheep follow them around and and they they get to know their shepherd and they 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 hear their voice and uh, they recognize their voice and and they follow the one whose voice they recognize that's how they shepherd so so rather than you know in in our sort of the australian picture of of the 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 shepherd sort of driving the sheep where he wants them to go. Actually, uh, you know, in, in these Bedouin cultures, as was the case then, uh, the sheep actually follow the shepherd around. So, you know, so Jesus says here, you know, my sheep listen to my voice. That's how yeah. I know that they're my sheep. Yeah. Uh, that's how it is known, sorry, that they're my sheep because they, they follow me. They hear my voice. Yeah. And again, he's he's alluding to this polarization effect. There are people that are turning away from him. Well, that's because they're not that. That's not my sheep. It's like it's kind of grieved, but there's a there's a inevitability about that. He says down in verse eleven, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not." own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and, and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Keeps, you know, this is the nature of his, this is what's beautiful about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the nature of his authority mm. is that he's not, you know, he's not exploiting his sheep for this influence and this, you know, uh, this self-validation, whatever it was. He's serving the sheep. He's serving the sheep. Yeah. He's there to serve them. I am mm. the good shepherd, mm. you know, and I'm going to lay my life down for these sheep. He says down in verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Probably referring to the in gathering of the Gentiles. Yeah. yeah. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's referring to a promise in Ezekiel chapter 37 where it's there's a, a promise after the uh, the famous vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. Mm-hmm. There's a promise that, that he will reunite the tribes of Israel, the two, the sp- division of the kingdom, right. and he will unite them under one, uh, under one shepherd. You okay. know, under one shepherd king, right. uh, you know, and because it says there, you know, and my, my servant David will rule over them. Well, of course, David was long gone. Yes. But of course, uh, that's another way of talking about the son of David. Okay. Um, so, so, you know, he's essentially he's laying claim to, the, to a fulfillment of that, uh, of that prophecy in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. This is, Stu, where, I, and I alluded to this verse in, yes. uh, so chapter 10, verse 18. Uh, he says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Notice the way he's putting that. Yes. I lay down my life. I take, take it, it up, up again. again. Yeah. Um, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Because he's talked about the thief, you know, those who usurp, those who usurp authority. Authority properly belongs to him. And it's going to be demonstrated in the fact that he is, this is, it's going to be demonstrated what sort of shepherd he is. He lays down his life for the sheep. But his authority is going to be demonstrated in the fact that having laid down his life, he takes it up again. See, John is always emphasizing the divinity of Christ. You know, Luke, for example, very much emphasizes the humanity of, of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but John is emphasizing the divinity of Christ. Yeah. You know, this is yeah. God in the flesh right from the start, you know, yeah. uh, and, and the word became flesh. Yes. You know, the word was God and the word became, became flesh. flesh. So this is, you know, this is Jesus saying, I had this is this authority from God is, you know, I, I have this. And so all of the, that's that's why all of these attempts 
and we're meant to recognize this as we read this story. All of these attempts to kill Jesus—that's—they're they're not going to—they're not—they're going to come to nothing because at the right time he will lay down yes. his life. Yeah. Now this is important well, at the end. He, yeah, he will lay down. He will his lay life. down. No one's going to take. That's right. Yeah. Now this yeah. is important. This this sovereignty is important. I think for readers at the time when this gospel was written, I think this saying is important because. They, things were really heating up, and you, and you've got actually this is the already the beginning of serious persecution. We've already had already seen this during the sixties under Nero, Nero yeah. but very much you know in the latter part of John's life, you know John ended up on Patmos yeah. during the great during these great persecutions. You know at this time there was serious serious persecutions, and yeah. and already at this stage, uh, you know John was the last surviving member of the disciples they'd all been martyred yeah, right yeah but essentially you know to to an audience like this he's saying listen god is in charge of of what happened in terms of you know when your life will be required of you god is in charge of that no one will be able to do anything to you apart from what god allows and that that will happen because you're followers of jesus right it, it may happen that you will be called on to be witnesses and the greek word for witnesses is martyr that you will be called on to be martyrs but at the right time mm-hmm. and and not before the right time. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, this, I think in its, you know, the context of when this gospel was written, that theme in John of, you know, they, they weren't able to nab Jesus until the exact time when he, when he decided that he it would lay right. down his life, yeah. I think is really important. It's original, uh, it's original context. The final section, Stu, it becomes more and more explicit the claim that Jesus uh, is making uh, down in ch- in verse thirty three of chapter ten. Mm. Uh, it says, you know, because he's saying, "I and the Father are one." Uh, he's talking about his oneness uh, with the Father in verse twenty nine there, and then in verse thirty one it says, "The Jews picked up stones again to stone him." So this is that other point, a sort of climactic point, which is like that's it, right? You you deserve to die, and Jesus answered them, "I've shown you." Many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make Make yourself God. God. Right? He's. Mm. It's. It's very evident to them. So certainly, you know, I think it's worth saying here, Stu, that that, you know, because there are some that that perhaps cast a bit of doubt on whether, you know, does the New Testament really teach the divinity of Christ? You couldn't be more explicit than what John, uh, than what John is. And this is this is not, you know, this is not something that develops later. It's you know, this is is just so central to Jesus' claims. uh, Well, also, I mean, even just earlier we were reading that that term "I am" has only been used twice. Yeah. In the whole scripture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I don't know how much more explicit you could get than that. But yeah. Actually, when they say that, he, he brings an interesting argument because he yeah, quotes he um, Psalm 82, is yeah, it, I think. Yeah, yeah, quotes from Psalm 82, which sort of has Israel, well, depending on how you in- interpret that, but on a popular interpretation of the day, has Israel described as kind of being like gods in a sense, in the sense that they are. You know, created in the image of God, and so he kind of, he kind of alludes to that, to that particular stream of teaching, to perhaps, in some ways, to soften or, or, or to point to to the validity of of that of that sort of claim. Mm. Um, it's an interesting argument. I think it just depends on the interpretation of that uh, of that psalm, which is a very interesting psalm. It's not to step back from his no. claim, yeah, um, but. 
but to point out there's something legitimate, you know, in this is because he is to the ultimate degree, you know, he, he is the very image of the invisible God. But there is a sense in which all people are actually called to reflect God's image in that sense uh, mm. as well. So mm. um, that's kind of what that how that argument goes. Well, Stu, I'm looking forward to chapter 11 because, remember, we're racing on it. Obviously, we're not going to look at that today, but no. this culminates, all of this journey, I mean, you're moving from one story to the other pretty quickly, and this culminates in the raising of Lazarus, this amazing event of the yeah. raising of Lazarus, the raising yeah. of the dead, which, you know, which is hard on the heels of these statements, uh, all of this discussion about, you know, the divinity of Christ and, and so forth. So, it, you know, John is... Uh, you know, John is weaving this together to clearly depict that Jesus, in the midst of all of the turmoil, all of the chaos, that it's, it's really, you know, Jesus' presence has thrown a cat amongst the pigeons in, in that sense and, and has, has stirred up this chaos. But you get this sense that in the midst of this chaos, Jesus is calmly and sovereignly in charge of all things. He's, he's absolutely uh, in charge of what's happening here. And I love that because, you know, in the midst of all of the threats, all of the chaos, uh, all of those moments where they're about to, to to stone him, things turn out exactly the way that God wants and no different. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.